Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest today to speak about sustainable agriculture and public health is Dr. Michael Hamm, C.S. Mott Professor of Sustainable Agriculture at Michigan State University and co-founder of the C.S. Mott Group for Sustainable Food Systems at Michigan State University. Thank you for joining us, Mike. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So we did, recorded a podcast uh, just a few minutes earlier on the importance of sustainable agriculture. Most people think about sustainable agriculture in terms of the impact on the environment, but there also is a real impact on public health, and not many people have made that link. You've done so beautifully in your speaking and in some of the things that you've been writing. So let's just start off with a broad question. How is sustainable agriculture related to health? Right. Well, for me, in my work as a nutritionist, the way that it relates for me is thinking about what is produced in this country relative to what is consumed in this country. From a public health standpoint, we know that the second leading cause of death in the United States is poor diet and physical inactivity. On the diet side, based on the 2005 Dietary Guidelines for Americans, we know that Americans should have somewhere between five, seven, and nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day, depending on their caloric intake. So you and I need about nine servings, my wife needs about seven servings, my daughter needs about five servings a day. And we also know that the average American gets about half that in their daily diet. So we're under-consuming fruits and vegetables as an example. Um, if we look, were to look at dairy, we'd see the same thing, that by and large, Americans are under-consuming calcium-rich foods, and dairy is about 60% of our average calcium intake in the United States. So, but let's focus on fruits and vegetables for a second. So when we think about sustainable agriculture, we think about ensuring that what we're doing now to produce food doesn't impair the future generations from having access to food also. But when we think about that, what we also should be thinking about is, is the food that we're producing today sufficient for every American to, in fact, eat a healthy diet? And the answer to that right now is definitively no. USDA studies demonstrated that out of the 2005 dietary guidelines, if 300 million Americans started eating like that, we'd be about 14 million acres short of production of fruits and vegetables. That doesn't take into account the fact that we've got 150 million more people we're going to add to this country by 2050 if the demographers are correct. So you start adding in those people, and now we're short by probably close to double that um, in terms of, of that population. And so... What we know then is, is that sustainable agriculture is not just about sustaining the natural resource base and the skills and talents of humans to be able to produce that food, but sustainable agriculture is also about producing a food supply that meets the dietary needs and the cultural food needs of the population of the country. And so what we know now is that we're absolutely short on that. So that could be translated into meaning more corn and soybeans, let's say. Um, if we if we have a population, we need to feed them as effectively as possible, get calories into them somehow, keep them alive. If the population growth strains our resources too much, then wouldn't that argue for more industrial agriculture because you just have to produce, produce, produce? Well, there's a couple points to keep track of there. One is is there there's a myth of efficiency out there, and the myth of efficiency is is that the bigger a farm gets, automatically the more efficient it gets. And Mike Duffy at Iowa State's done some wonderful research um, demonstrating that if you take just about any sector of agriculture, 
there is only a, a certain size that leads to more efficiency. And when you get beyond that size, there's either a plateau of efficiency or, in fact, efficiency goes down, depending on the exact sector you're looking at. And so what that means is, is that, in fact, the most efficient farms are not necessarily the biggest farms. In fact, smaller farms may be more efficient. And in some cases, smaller farms may be even more efficient because they're doing multiple um, harvesting out of a given piece of land, whereas a larger farm is only trying to do one thing with that piece of land. It's, it's counterintuitive and in some ways that that might be the case, so maybe you could explain why. You'd think that if all you have is one crop to attend to, that you need less machinery, you need less expertise, you're not having to work all the time to bring things to market, you can just do it at once, it would seem more efficient. Right. Well, let's think of it this way, though. And let's, let's think of, for example, you have a backyard garden that's a couple hundred square feet. And let's say that you use the square foot gardener method of gardening. So you're planting your onions and your garlic on four or five inch section, on four or five inch squares. And you're planting your tomatoes on every 18 inches or something like that. And you're putting them in diamond patterns so that you're maximizing the number of tomatoes you've got in a 10 square foot area. If you're on a farm, you're probably putting those tomatoes on three-foot rows and so that you can go up and down those rows or maybe even more. And so that's an extreme example. But if we look at a garden, a garden per square foot or per hundred square foot, in fact, might be much more efficient at producing food per square foot. Once you start moving up in scale a little bit, now you've got to start adding equipment in. And in fact, we need some of that scale in our production because with 300 million Americans, we need to produce about 360 to 400 billion pounds of food a year. So we need some scale there. We can't do everything with 1,000 square foot gardens or even with five acre farms. But the point is, is that at some point, you reach a plateau in which adding more acreage doesn't increase your efficiency of production. The way that you make more money when you start to do it is because you're producing more units. And so you're getting more for each, you're getting more for the units, not per unit. All right, thanks for the explanation. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what do you think about, uh, in terms of human health, whether uh, organic food will contribute in a positive way? Well, that's a tricky question. And so I'm gonna be very blunt about it. And there are two pieces to that question. One is the whole issue of pesticide residue. And quite honestly, I'm not the expert in that, so I just as soon set that one aside. What I am the expert in is the nutritional quality of the food. And I will tell you that scientifically, the data on the nutritional quality of the food indicates that if there is a nutrient bumping organic, it's probably about 30%. Okay? Now, some are very ecstatic about the 30% bump. I look at it from this standpoint. If people ate twice as much fruits and vegetables as they're supposed to, they would be getting twice as much, which is 100% more. Um, there's also data out there on genotypic variation across within a variety, within a crop, for like, let's say, broccoli. The sulfur compound in broccoli, there's a study out of University of Illinois that's found a 10 to 12 times variation in the level of the sulfur compound, depending on the variety. So the point of that is, is that there is probably much more variety in genotypic variation than there is in phenotypic variation. Okay. Uh, so back to, to human health. It sounds like eating locally, let's say, as much as you can, could benefit health in two, re two, two fundamental ways. One would be that you're helping the environment, and so your health and everybody else's benefits as a consequence of that. 
But then there's also the possibility that the food will just be better for you. So it might taste better, for example, because it's mm -hmm. not been shipped and refrigerated long distances and bred to have very long shelf life and things. And that could lead you to eat more of that food as mm -hmm. time goes on. But then you're also making the argument that depending on how it's grown, some of that local food could get this nutrient bump. So there could be a lot of reasons to do this. There are a lot of reasons. And, and quite honestly, a lot of what I say, a lot of the answers that I give to questions is a simple two words. It depends. So I can construct arguments where something that comes from 1,500 miles away is more nutritious than something that comes from five miles away if it's not treated properly when it's harvested. So every farmer, no matter who they are, has to understand post-harvest management strategies so that you may maintain the optimal quality of that produce. So if all of that is equal, then there are certainly case studies out there where kids have eaten the local carrots out of Elliot Coleman's farm in Maine, or they've eaten the local apples from a farmer in Upper Michigan and have just been ecstatic about this food and wanted to gobble it up. Um, as opposed to an apple that's been shipped a couple thousand miles that, that's fairly tasteless, quite bluntly. Um, so I think that there are probably a number of taste characteristics that we should be exploring more as scientists to understand, in fact, what is the, the advantages and disadvantages of local and what are the comparabilities. But I think there's anecdotal data out there right now that says there's a lot of opportunity there. The other piece of it, though, that I think really has to be brought into the equation, which we haven't yet, is the fact that there's a huge amount of economic development potential there for communities and states across the country. And given the fact that there is this deficit of production relative to what we should be consuming, this is not an economic development potential in, the, in which the states need to view themselves as competitive with each other. In fact, the governors could all get together and think about how they could collectively increase produce consumption in their states across the country, and all of them increase their production, and everybody would benefit. Let me end with this question. Some people have complained about how the world of nutrition has become reductionistic. It's been very focused on specific nutrients. So we think about we want to eat this food because it has antioxidants and this food because it has a certain vitamin. And we've begun thinking about nutrients rather than food. Do you, do you think that's a legitimate argument? And what has it done to the way we think about food in our eating? My best guess is, is that it's confused a lot of people. And I think that one of the things that we need to do as nutritionists is probably get back to ways of simplifying the strategies that we try to educate around how to eat and how to improve our diet. And I think that the, the place where I agree with Michael Pollan in his In Defense of Food is I think the notion of, you know, eat closer to the source, in other words, less processed to the extent possible, eat a greater variety that includes a lot of vegetable products, a lot of, of plant-based products, is not a bad strategy to go by. And I think one of the things that we really need to get back to as nutritionists, as public health professionals, is to get back to the notion of enjoying food and enjoying a diversity of food and not restricting ourselves to a few things, but, but trying to broaden our palates and broaden the palates of the people that we work with. Well, thank you. You've made a very strong argument for the importance of considering where food comes from, how it's grown, uh, and its impact on not only the environment, but our health as human beings. So thank you for your comments. 
Thank you. So thank you to Dr. Michael Hamm, C.S. Mott Professor of Sustainable Agriculture at Michigan State University, for recording this podcast. I'd like to make note of the fact that he's recording two other podcasts on farm and agriculture and nutrition issues. So I urge you to listen to those and also to visit the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a list of a variety of resources, including a free monthly email newsletter, uh, a list of other podcasts, and then a variety of other things. Thank you.